The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast. My name is Jonathan Busfield, here with John Cuna, as always. Today we'll be discussing Simone Biles and mental fitness. So Simone Biles is one of those athletes, John, where I feel like she, you know, there's only a few that reached this level, but I kind of remember where I was when I, I think it was the 2016 Rio Olympics. Yeah. You kind of remember where you were when you watched this athlete. You remember like kind of the the feeling or the emotion that was, um, you know, created by them and their performance because they're so good at what they do and they're so much uh, farther above their competition that it's kind of, yeah. you kind of laugh at it. You mm-hmm. almost feel bad for the people they're competing <laughs> against because it's just like, it. I mean, it wasn't even close. I think for her, I want to say they've even maybe outlawed, I thought I read somewhere that they outlawed move, certain moves in gymnastics because only she could do them. <laughs> could do them. I don't know if anyone else has reached that level. So yeah. she might be like the top of the top. I know a few other athletes kind of come to mind when it comes to that level of performance you know obviously um you know tiger woods is probably one of them mm-hmm. serena williams without a doubt michael jordan i would say tom brady i'm a little bit biased so as are you i uh, think it's i think that that think case is fair, closed i right? think it's fair right? at this I think point it's fair. yeah um some people might say brady's like more body of work than like any one game where he was that much of above his comp maybe mm-hmm. but again i think that that's posi- to be said about that that position's a little bit different um mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky comes to mind for me, although I think people have kind of swept that name under the rug for some reason in the last few years. Go check out his statistics because yes. they're wild. If it's like, insane. It, they're, yeah. they're insane. And if yeah. you watched highlights of him, I mean, it was clear that he was yeah. so much better than the people around him. For sure. It, it wasn't even funny. So, yeah. And then um, I don't know much about soccer, but I'd say, uh, you know, Messi is probably somebody who comes to mind. Yeah. And I, I do have to like just strongly disagree. And for all my friends who uh, <laughs> who know me, uh, know that I'm a huge Cristiano Ronaldo fan. Uh, so, okay, so see, who's I know just, which one to go with. Far superior had to a feeling. Lionel okay. Messi. Okay. Uh, Lionel Messi, if you're listening, uh, we love you and you're a great player. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Don't so burn just, bridges. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> had to make sure I made that comment. <laughs> so yeah, I wasn't sure which which uh, soccer player or football player, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. to, to go with on that one. But Ronaldo's definitely up there as well, where they both kind of reach that level where you watch them play and it's just kind of comical because they're so much better. So much better um, than anybody else. Yeah. So Simone Biles definitely reaches that level for me. And, and, you know, in the 2016 Olympics, I remember watching her just absolutely crush the competition. Um, you know, just quick bio on her. She's an American gymnast. Most people know that, but she's got a combined total of 30 Olympic and World Champion uh, Championship medals. She's the most decorated American gymnast of all time. Um, a few... Facts about Simone Biles that we found kind of interesting. She's only 23 years old, and at the, on the one hand, I say only 23. I didn't know this, but I guess for for gymnasts, that's extremely old. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought like maybe mid 20s is when you start to get old as a gymnast, but I guess it's like late teens is when you consider mm-hmm. they consider you sort of like phasing out because you're too old. Yeah, which is kind of crazy in my opinion. So she's only 23 years old. Um, she was adopted by her maternal grandfather after being in foster care when she was uh, much much younger. She holds uh, Belizean citizenship through her mother and refers to that country as her second home. 
And she's got a French bulldog named, I think it's Lilo. If it's Lilo, forgive me, Simone. <laughs> uh, got a shout out, um, you know, props to the dog. We love yeah, dogs around yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so her that we always try to mention, you know, for the athletes that we cover and we discuss, we always try to mention which which charity or charitable organization they sort of either, you know, created, run, support, yeah. do things for, partner with, that kind of thing. So for her, it's uh, mattressfirmfosterkids.org. So we're going to put that link in the show notes as always. And they help support foster children nationwide, which is a, a really important uh, mm-hmm. mission. So we want to make sure we call that out in a good way. Um, so in terms of takeaways, John, you know, we're, I'm going to kick it to you with, with regard to Simone Biles, her experience, you know, what she's discussed uh, about mental fitness, mental health. What, what are uh, some of your takeaways? Yeah, first, just two additional things that I found about her that I thought were particularly interesting yeah. is that she's the first gymnast, male or female, to win a world's medal in every single event. Oh, wow. In gymnast, which I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, she's the first person ever to do that. And she's also the first African-American all-around world champion or female all- African-American all-world champion, which I thought was just fascinating. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, my biggest, one of my big, my biggest takeaways was this was a fun dive into her history mm-hmm. uh, because she's just like this. I, we, I mean, we mentioned she's, she's on the Mount Rushmore of just those types of athletes that just are far above everybody else. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things um, that stood out for me, she did a master class and she called it sort of like her seven steps for uh, mental fitness or, you know, seven steps for success and things like that. And I thought that that was um, some, one of the things that really stood out to me. Yeah, seven um, tips on performance and anxiety. Performance anxiety, yep. right. Um, and she broke it down and sort of she talked about, you know, fundamentals and every, you know, every um, new opportunity, new game, new opportunity, um, remembering her training visualize things, music she talked about, which I'll get into in just a minute, and then confidence. Um, And those really stood out to me because those were really, really good concrete sort of pillars um, to working on both performance anxiety, but also just performance in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when she talks about fundamentals, she really is talking about like the the stuff you start learning day one in gymnastics and the importance of all those different things and staying sort of grounded in the process, the process and the foundation. Yeah. I think that's really something that was uh, important for her to like start with. Cause that is, I mean, when you look at these steps, you sort of, I see it as like building of a house and fundamentals is the foundation um, for that. And then new game, new opportunity. I think this is something that I see a lot of times with athletes of sort of, they, you know, they carry over, they carry baggage from either, previous previous um performances and it can influence new ones so you had a bad game mentality into that might be um, i had a bad game last game i'm gonna have a bad game this game and it just interferes that so carries over like yeah a snowball effect. Yeah, yeah exactly and and so for her talking about like that happened i'm here now and really being able to switch gears and compartmentalize i thought was really important and, and, and a really good uh technique and then again remembering her training and I think this kind of relates a little bit to visualization too, which I'm going to get to next. But the remembering her training was a lot about, you know, reminding herself. She talks a lot about this in the master class uh, about um, remembering like she's done this a million times in practice, mm-hmm. right? So she's been able to like physically do what she's about to go do. And it's, there is literally no different other than maybe like a few million people watching on TV. Mm-hmm. Um and but that really is the only difference. But the things that she's asking from her body to be able to do, she's already done that. And so I thought that was a thing, and that kind of really ties into visualization because she talks about visualizations a lot, um, and in a way that I think is there's a there's a lot of misconceptions about visualization training. But I think the way that she outlined it was really perfect. Sort of like 
wake like you know visualize yourself waking up having a great morning visualize the steps you want to go through visualize yourself seeing yourself execute the 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 things you want to be doing on the beam or the bar or the mat or wherever and being as specific as possible and she even talks about which I think this is usually the missing piece with visualizations she talks about you know if you can make it the more real you make it in your mind the easier it is when you're in live space or when you're like actually there performing to do to do the activity you've sort of like convinced your brain you've already done this yeah. before and there's no it's no different you just yeah. got to kind of hit replay um I yeah, thought those are really great. Yeah, yeah I want to expound on that a little bit because that that is one thing that I, I don't know about you. I know when I've worked with athletes, I haven't worked with athletes as, as much as you have, but when I've worked with athletes in the past, they that's the one thing that they always I think roll their eye at the eyes at the most is like, why would I spend time envisioning in my head doing things well? What is that going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and it always catches me off guard. But then, like you know, usually I think when you explain that they're doing that anyway whether they admit it or not, usually in a negative direction, mm-hmm. it starts to click and make more sense because I think it, it is extremely helpful. Like going through that visualization process where you actually envision, you know, I like to try to uh, encourage clients to like envision, um, well, not just envision, I would say use all the senses. You yeah. know, what are you seeing? What does it smell like in the gym if yep. that's where you are? What does mm-hmm. it look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? And really like, you know, really get all the senses engaged in your visualization so that it becomes more real I think going through those mental reps are just, ju- I don't know if they're just as helpful as the physical. I don't know how you would characterize it, but they're obviously extremely important. How would you weigh the, the, the impact of visualization, positive or negative, versus intentional practice in a physical sense and being there? I'd say they're as important, okay. right? I think that they're both equal. I think when you, when you use mental reps, and I think when you start talking to athletes from it, from like using language like that, like you, you can get a, You can only get so many physical reps in things. Your body can only sustain a certain amount. Your brain can sustain more. Yeah. Again, there is a limit to yeah. it as well, yeah. just like there is for your phys- like your body. But um, that I would say they're just as. I mean, it, it, they're just as important. And when I, you know, talking to talking to athletes, you're right. It's this is always the one that I get the eye roll. The br- breath training and visualizations are yep. the hardest conversations to have yep. with athletes because they always are just like, how is this possibly going to work? Yeah. And then you start actually getting some buy-in when they start practicing it and doing it. And I think what you brought up is really important when you start to incorporate, and this is what Simone Biles talks about a lot, was like if you can incorporate your all five senses into what's going on, like I said, it's you're, you convince yourself that you're in that yeah. space. Um, and it's just, it's just more individual training. And, and the one thing that, again, that I always, I always go back to when I get that initial eye roll from visualization is that all the people that we talked about at the beginning of this episode, every single one of them uses visualization in their training and and I'll talk about the importance of doing it. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking for things that are for commonality across practices for some of the best athletes that have ever done their sport, um, visualization is a part of that. So if it's if it's good enough for Tom Brady, Simone Biles, Lionel Messi, Wayne, you know, I don't know about Wayne Gretzky, see if he used those pieces as well, but like if it's good enough for them, what is it that's so different about you that you can't find benefit from from trying to do these things? And oftentimes it's we've talked about this in previous episode that like it seems too easy to be effective, so I'm just going to dismiss that it's going to work. And then you get buy-in, you get consistency, and they're like, "Whoa, my performance has dramatically shifted." Yeah, and I think this is where there's probably still I don't I don't want to say necessarily that, that these young athletes when they when they roll their eyes at this that they're like, you know, having a stigma against it. But I do think that, you know, mental performance training and things like that still is still second guessed compared to physical, right? If you mm-hmm. if you took a, a young athlete and you showed them ten physical practice approaches that uh, athletes in their sport were doing 
who are the top of their sport, they would do those those physical movements in a second. Right? Yeah. Wouldn't even think twice. They'd be like, that's right. what Tom Brady does. That's what Michael Jordan does. You know, boom, I'll do it. Like, right. just get me to, to the place where I can. But with the with the mental visualizations, there's still they just don't uh, look at it the same way. And it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's starting to change. I think possibly it's because physical things, you know, when you're doing them, you can feel them more readily. And you can maybe see the results a little bit quicker mm-hmm. or in, in, you know, with your eyes more than just like um, when you're visualizing. It's it's a little bit more of a trust that has to happen for you to, to wait and see the effect that has. Yeah. And, and you know, the way that I kind of help to describe it, too, with the buy-in, because it takes time for this to be like really effective. Mm-hmm. And it is really difficult in the beginning when you're starting visualization training. And I always look for, for people who come in. I'm like, hey, how did it go? I'm like, it was great. It was awesome. I did it great. And I always am like, this was your first time doing it. Like I have apprehension from the people who come in and tell me like it went perfectly. Mm-hmm. Cause that's not, t- that's not the typical, it's not usually that's a, the typical that's a red flag. That's a me. red yeah, flag yeah, yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, like there's, they may, they may be like sugarcoating it a little bit or maybe, or just like trying to rush the process okay, yep, and moving yep. forward and not really doing like really grinding through yeah. it because that's kind of what it is, at least in the beginning. I look for the people who are like, that sucked. Yeah. That was so hard. <laughs> I couldn't get it right. Something, you know, that, that that's that's typically the response that I get from people Meditation who are like, really is, you going get that through. a lot too when they Same first thing. start. Yeah. Yep, yeah. exactly. Um, so... That's, I mean, but again, same thing with like, if you're going to the gym, right, to, to train and to build muscle, let's say, right, and you go and you do bicep curls for one day, you go home, you're not, you don't have massive biceps, right? right? You have right. to go consistently to the gym. I mean, it's, it literally is the exact same so, process. So that's a good point because I, I think, I think that's another element of where, you know, mental training is different in terms of how people look at it or their perspective towards like keeping an open mind towards it. I think they expect instant gratification more uh, on average, not everybody, I but I think people in general, when they're, when they're going to do meditation or, bre- or breath work or visualization, they want to see the results tomorrow for some reason. Whereas when they're going to work out, yeah, they want to get better quick, but they don't, they don't expect to such a high degree that it's going mm-hmm. to change overnight. Yeah. Whereas with meditation, especially, it's like you get a person who does it once. They're like, I didn't notice a difference. <laughs> right. like, well, you know, <laughs> it's, you got to do it every day for many months, probably yeah. year, most people would say years yeah. um, to really see the gradual results. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, that was my big tangent on visualization. Um, but the the next one that she gets into, she talks a lot about the use of um, of music in like her training as mm-hmm. a way to kind of like bring her into the zone and get her into the zone. Um, and I have sort of like a mixed conversation on music because for that purpose, for someone who's already doing the back end mental fitness training, like doing the visualizations, she's cultivating her confidence, which we're going to get into a minute. Yep. She works on her fundamentals. She's sort of like training her mind leading up to that, having music as an, as a vehicle to get you like that extra push to kind of like get the heart rate up and get you in the zone. I think is it works for her. Obviously, obviously yeah. I'm not going to be sit here and say it's not effective <laughs> for someone who's the yeah. most decorated ever. Um, the, the, the issue that I sometimes run into with music is that you know, when you're listening to music, typically like the heart rate goes up, um, the, the the beat of the song matches the heart rhythm and you kind of get yourself like energized a little bit. And then if you're not doing the back end training, when you remove the music, you remove that stimulus and your all the activity kind of decreases without it. And so it's kind of like the scaffold or the structure to which you kind of attached your rhythm and your practice is now been removed and been removed gone. Okay. Yeah. yeah and then you and it also too like it also music also is a is it can be an effective distracting tool mm-hmm. um to kind of like which i think what contributes to getting yourself in the zone and then when you remove that all those distractions if you're not 
mentally fit come flooding back yeah. and immediately interfere back with with the work. So I think that or the performance. So I think that it's really really effective. It can be really effective tool. And you see you see many athletes doing their warm ups with headphones in and stuff like that. And I think that that's great. But if you're, I think the missing piece is that that if it's the be all end all for how you work that there might be some problems that can kind of come up in your performances sort of leading forward if you're not sort of doing the back end work yeah that's interesting because it makes me think of the um the tiger woods documentary because one of the parts of the, of the tiger woods documentary was his father like when he was growing up and his father was obviously getting him onto the golf course and, and acclimating mm-hmm. him to the game and really you know uh scaling him up quick from a young age one of the things he would do which I, we know like golf is a game where silence is sort of expected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms of like maintaining decorum, you're not supposed to make noises. And, mm-hmm. and even when it's a large crowd, they're supposed to stay silent and people get thrown out if they make noises. Right. He would, you know, walk past a, a Tiger when he was in his backswing and he would say little things or he would throw little things. And he would do and it. Just to me, that makes me think of like almost the opposite. Like you're mm-hmm. not. He, he almost made sure that he wasn't relying on on silence as the backdrop to his fluid right. swing motion and, and focus. Yep. He was acclimating him to like having things kind of come out of nowhere. And right. that was his norm so that when that stuff happened on the course, he was able to stay in the flow state. All ready to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, and the last piece that she talks, and she talks a great deal about this. Um, I encourage everybody to go back and do the master. It was it was pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, just to listen to her speak. Um, but she talks a lot about confidence and like her understanding of sort of this is something that is cultivated. It's created. It's not just you don't just have it or you don't. It takes time and effort to work on building confidence and sustaining confidence. Mm-hmm. And confidence is one of those things that kind of ebbs and flows. It's not just you would like it to be this just this, this sustained thing. But there are dips in, in confidence when things when things yeah. happen. And she talks a lot about and I think that if you are able to sort of follow through with much of the stuff she talked about confidence is sort of the end result of all of the work that you're that you're putting into doing that type of stuff and it plays into visualizations if you're if you're doing visualizations and for let's use the gymnastic piece you're doing a you know a a beam exercise and you keep you know you're doing a visualization you keep falling off in your head right that might speak to a lack of confidence that you're able to actually do what you're looking to do Mm -hmm. and so visualizations can build that confidence up but if you can't believe in yourself enough to be able to do those things it's obviously going to completely interfere um with your ability to go out there and perform the way that you want to um and i think that the more confidence that you can continue to build and work on the the better and i think that doing a lot of these different things is a good way to, to go about that but when doubt creeps in if you're not prepared to deal with that that's when things can start to spiral in performance. And then your confidence, and then then that critic takes over. Oh, you're no good. You're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna yep. do well. You're gonna lose. Everyone's looking at you. This is terrible. This is going downhill fast. And confidence can kind of, if you have a good strong confidence, can be like, ah, no, shut up. Mm-hmm. I'm good. Mm-hmm. I got this. Yep. Right. And but that takes that takes work yeah. to be able to have that internal conversation with yourself. Yeah. And I think the the one thing you mentioned earlier that I think ties into this is that concept of short memory. And I think like I, I try to work on athletes with this. Like when you're in the moment, like you have to be able to let go of something very quick. If you make a mistake, you, it's like a, a mental bookmark, right? You're going to come back to that later. And because I think mentally, when we talk about mental toughness, I think mentally tough people and athletes, they don't ignore emotion. It's not just about being stoic <laughs> and not allowing something to affect you at all. And then you pretend like everything's fine. It's about being able to pick and choose when you address emotion. That's mm-hmm. to me what makes somebody mentally tough is mm-hmm. that they, they can have something happen in a moment and they can bookmark it for later snap back short memory let that go maintain or regain focus in the moment 
And then later on after, especially with sports, after the game is over or, or the gymnastics meet is over, then you revisit what happened. And she even talks about journaling. So I think yeah. she's done for a long time where you revisit mentally and emotionally what was happening in that moment. How did that affect me? How does it affect me now? So I think that's a, a misconception, I think, about mental toughness is that, you know, these athletes are just, you know, um, you know, they, they have this wall up that's impenetrable. And I don't think that's how it works. I think they just wait until later to kind of address it and get into it. And so the short memory thing definitely um, definitely ties into this. I also think you, you mentioned something earlier with the confidence piece, which is, you know, that it has to be worked on in practice. I think a lot of people have the order of operations backwards on this, right? They think that if I'm worthy of being confident or feeling confident, then I would feel that way. Right. So because I don't, that must mean I'm, I'm just not worthy of that. And I don't think that's the case. Right? We work with clients on this where it's like confidence is not something you're necessarily born with or that you're just going to have. You have to you know, believe that you deserve it and then work on cultivating it. Like mm -hmm. you say, I love that term cultivating confidence because it's about you know, recognizing that it's not just going to fall out of the sky. You have to do different things that will you know, gradually boost it up. And there are going to be life events that, that take you down a peg or two right. from time to time. Yep. And it's good to work on your mental fitness in other ways to help you um, be more resilient and guard against like massive dips when those life things happen, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, anything else on that? On that seven tips for performance anxiety. No, honestly, that, that was, I, I would, I mean, I, I always do, but I would encourage anybody to kind of go back and like learn her story. And uh, yeah. there's certainly some things that we won't have time to touch on that was a big impact for her. But we, um, the, that was the, the big one that, that pertained to sort of like obviously to me mental fitness and mm -hmm. what the topic for today that that just seemed like, you know, you hear other athletes talking about like their systems or their ways or sort of how they break things down. And this one just really flowed well. And I thought it was just really, really put together really, really well. Yeah. So. Yeah. And she's so well spoken. I mean, it, it reminds me of like, you know, uh, a lot of NBA athletes, uh, you know, remind me of this too, where it's like they're so young. They come into the league at like, you know, 19 sometimes, mm -hmm. 20, 21. And especially in the last decade, I feel like they've become more and more polished around how to handle the media, how to talk um, about, you know, the game, about themselves, how to develop a brand. Like, these are things where, dude, if you had talked to me when I was 23, I, it wouldn't have looked very pretty. Like, I no. think so these athletes, the fact that they can be so well-spoken and handle the stress that they do is really impressive to me, you know, mm -hmm. and that came through with her. So we talked about with, when it comes to confidence, you know, how you have to cultivate it and you have to do other things that, to guard against life events that are going to happen that may, you know, uh, diminish your confidence. They may create difficult emotions. Mm -hmm. They may lead to mental health issues. She's been through quite a bit. I mean, she's been through, uh, you know, difficult transitions in life, obviously being adopted mm -hmm. uh, and, and being in foster care for a time period. Um, performing at a high level in competition is, is its own difficult thing to deal with at a young age. She's been through trauma. Um, so I think one thing that stood out to me is, you know, how she talked about, you know, with 2020, the, the pandemic and the Tokyo postponement, that that was really devastating to her. I mean, she was like in the in the best shape of her life. I think it was like a grieving process that she had to go through because she was planning on competing mm -hmm. in Tokyo and then retiring. Right. And now I think she had to make that decision of like, all right, what do I do here? Do I, you know, first it's like, like I let myself feel this grief and this loss. Mm -hmm. And then I think she had to figure out, do I want to train for another year and go do it, which she ultimately is going to do, which right. is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but that's to me, you know, where it sounds like something clicked about mental fitness for her, right? That, and she even has a quote where she said, I've spent so much time working on my physical self. I've tried to use this time to focus on my mental well-being. Uh, she says, I focused a lot on my self-care, on feeding my mind with lots of positive thoughts uh, she also said, because this kind of relates, she said, I, taking my time for my, taking time for myself is so important. I'm a worrier and I try to take care of others before myself. So taking time to myself has been really nice. And I think that will 
that I'll be taking that into 2021. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool because um, one, she recognizes that being proactive with this kind of thing is really important and you get what you put in. Mm-hmm. If you're proactive with mental fitness and you keep yourself in a good place with self-care, when life events happen, because they're going to, you're less likely to be really adversely impacted by that. Yep. And then the other thing that relates, because we've talked about this a lot, is is how just be, you know, when you care about people and you love people, it doesn't mean you always have to put those people sky high above you. Like if you really care about them, mm-hmm. you got to put yourself on the same plane. Right. Because the, and parents, this relates to parenting a lot because I think parents often put their kids first. And we've discussed that in the past. And it's good to put your kid first, but you have to put your own needs out there at the same level because that will actually allow you to be the best parent you can right. be. So, mm-hmm. um, so that kind of gets us into, you know, mental fitness for her because obviously she's taken that more seriously. A couple things that stood out, and we're going to get into this in the mental fitness section a little bit, but, you know, she kind of gets into what things need to be removed for mental fitness and what things need to be added. And I guess you could always kind of, it's tomato, tomato on that kind of thing because usually when you're uh, adding something, you're also taking something out that's mm-hmm. maybe on the negative version of that. But, you know, she talks about avoiding social media before competition, which I think is really cool because you're just, you're getting that out of your life. That's a mental fitness uh, step. You yeah. know, you're protecting yourself by saying, I'm not going to surround myself with all this negativity and, and that kind of thing. I'm going to get into more of a focused state by getting away from that. And she also surrounds herself with people she loves who brings who bring good vibes to her life, which on the flip side is she's not surrounding herself with negative people. Right. I think that's a decision people sometimes struggle with is like, you know, for your own mental fitness, it's okay to look at like who are the people in your life that are, don't treat you fairly or are unhealthy or toxic for you and take steps to not be around those people. I think you, mm-hmm. you know, every person has the right to make that decision if they think that that's required. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's got stuff that she puts in you know, just kind of go down the list real quick. I mean, she takes things one day at a time. So in terms of that's like mindset attitude, uh, she writes down uh, goals and she journals. Uh, she likes to, she had mentioned taking a stand and speaking up. I think that's one thing she seems to be doing more in the last year, year plus, especially with, you know, social justice and things like that is like really vocalizing yeah. her beliefs and, and her views. Um, she talks about separating work from non-work and this makes me think of, of analogy, an analogy that you use or a metaphor that you use, John, which is, um, I mean, she says, what fills your tank, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I think you, correct me if I'm wrong, you use the, the what fills up your bucket. Is that mm-hmm. one that you use with yeah. clients? Um, so I, I've tried to use that too because I think that's really important. You have to look at, you know, what are the things that are, you know, either filling up my bucket in a good way or depleting it, right? Mm-hmm. And you can go the, the reverse. Kind of, sometimes I, with clients, I'll say like, Hey, you know, sometimes the bucket needs to be emptied. The bucket of stress needs to be emptied. What are the things that the strategies you use that actually empty the bucket periodically instead of having it spill over all of the floor? Mm-hmm. And what are the things that are negative in your life that kind of keep adding water, right? So you can right. kind of go either way with the metaphor. Yeah. Um, but I think that was really cool because she is really kind of, she, she clearly understands herself and there's a level of self-awareness there. And I think that factors into her mental fitness. Mm-hmm. Um she talks about therapy being really important. Did you see that at all? Yeah. What are your thoughts on on that? Um, you know, I think it's just, I think it's really important that this is just more of a piece. I think that we, we, we talk, you and I talk about this all the time about like the, the ability to sort of work with a therapist who has like the clinical understanding mm-hmm. of what is going on mm-hmm. so that all of the things that she does in terms of like to make herself mental fit are available to her. Yeah. And you know, I, I, this isn't just for her. This is for everybody. If you are, you know, in a place that you need clinical like help from somebody to balance yourself out, the performance stuff really isn't going to be that effective yeah. at all. Yeah. In my, I mean, maybe I'm biased, but in my opinion, in my opinion and experience, 
the people that I've worked with, the athletes that I've worked with, you know, sometimes we come in and talk about performance. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we're yeah. talking about something that has nothing to do with the sport at all. Yeah. And until they can get to the point of addressing those those needs and moving on, then the performance stuff becomes much more of a, a conversation and much more of a, a used a, you, like they're absolutely they're ap- actually able to take on the things that we're that we're talking about and put them into practice. But if there are things and hindrances and barriers in the way, from like a clinical standpoint, mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to get that stuff done. And I think her talking about doing those things sort of in conjunction is where the conversation needs to go and continue to go because that's that is the most effective way to get this stuff done. Yeah, and it's it's uh the analogy or the metaphor I like to use is like a dandelion and I'll say this to clients where it's like if you're if you're just doing surface level things and especially like, you know, mental performance only in with regard to like being on the court or on the mat or that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you're just kind of cutting off the top of the weed, right? You're not really getting at the root, you're not pulling that out to mm-hmm. really understand what is causing some of the issues. And right. if you don't address the stuff that has you know, really kind of comes from general life and meanders into the sporting uh, athlete world, you're not getting the full picture. And I think that sounds like that's what you're kind of touching on is that you have to be working on both. Yeah. And I mean, oftentimes the stuff that interferes with your performance isn't like a performance issue. Yeah, right. Most of the time it's not. And if you're just sort of like performance, 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 you're not really treating, you're not really helping. And even if you are, I think it, it kind of invalidates the, the athlete as a person it's right. like and i think they've i've heard athletes speak to this like whether it's the michael phelps episode or other yeah. episodes we've done where they feel like yeah like the sports psychology stuff the, they're they're trying to get I'm a, I'm a tool that they're using and they're trying to sharpen me as a tool for that purpose mm-hmm. but they don't really care about me as an individual as a person so mm-hmm. i think it has the effect of intentionally whether the sports psychologist that kind of thing even means to do that or not no sure probably don't. not no sure course. they don't right but it leads to that effect of them feeling like well they only care if I do what I need to, like on where I'm supposed to as an athlete that mm-hmm. like, it just makes them feel invalidated as a person, which I think is going to compound some of the issues that are already happening. Right. Because you need to feel you need to give yourself validation. You need to have other people in your life give you validation yeah. to start the healing process. And that to me is what kind of stands out about her when she talks about therapy, because she calls it her safe, uh, safe spot, I think, or safe place where she can get out negative, uh, negativity hear herself talk and she knows for a fact it's confidential. I Mm -hmm. think that is something that has to be said about therapy is that, you know, it's, it's very, very important to have people in your life, friends and family that you go to for support. At the same time, they are, they have their own agendas sometimes. And there's, it's not, it's not a one way street, right? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a two way street with family members and friends, which is a good thing. I think in its own way, it's very, very important with the therapist. You know that that person is really there to listen to you and to support you. That's their main job, right? Mm-hmm. And there is confidentiality, so you know it's not going to go anywhere outside of that. So therapy is not for everybody, but I think that's an important reason to consider it for a lot of people. Yeah, I also think that sometimes, and most of what I talk about with people too, is that sometimes it's nice to have someone who's not in your sphere, right? Yeah. Who has yeah. no Impartial. objective p- yeah. opinion, has not, is just sort of there to listen and to provide guidance and to provide some, some, you know, some strategies or some things to sort of address. But you know, even if even with support networks of people around you the information you could pass, it will influence mm-hmm. potentially the environment. And so having a separate space to be able to like go and talk and get that stuff out initially to process, to think about, to be, you know, have someone reflect that back mm-hmm. is invaluable for, for this type of stuff. And so certainly not saying like get rid like support networks are useless. That's not what we're yeah. saying, yeah. but having, but having a therapist who's impartial to any, everything just sort of there as a confidential space to go to is, is so huge. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, 
A couple other takeaways I had, you know, I, I think we use Simone Biles as an example in our ADHD and eight program of like athletes or successful people with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really key for young people, especially who have ADHD to know that there are others, so many others out there that have it that are success, really yeah. successful top of their field. It does not mean you're stupid. Um, usually people with ADHD are extremely intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to mention that because I think that's an example we give for people because they, they often see that name and they're like, oh, I didn't know she had ADHD. Right. It makes me feel like I could do like a lot of different things. Yep. And she also spends seven to eight hours, seven to eight hours in the gym every day, which kind of stood out to me like, is that, I mean, unbelievable. I, I can't imagine doing that. So athletes, what they dedicate, um, you know, I'm sure you could kind of relate to this a little bit more mm-hmm. than I could based on the, the track pass, but um, it's just pretty, it's really impressive to dedicate mm-hmm. that much time. Um, so we're going to switch a little bit to the, to the topic of mental fitness. Uh, you know, you had touched on a little bit, John, in terms of, you know, the importance when it comes to mental fitness of really treating the whole person, not just the athlete in the person, mm-hmm. um, you know, and crossing that line and getting both sides of that. And that's something I think you in particular do extremely well in the program you developed for Riser and Tread focuses on both, right? Yeah. Focuses on performance mindset and recovery. But it really focuses on the whole person and looking at what are the elements in the areas of their life that have nothing to do with athletics right. and yet clearly are affecting them as a person and bleeding in and affecting them as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we don't really see happening with a lot of other athletes out there in terms of the work that they're doing. We see a lot of you know performance coaches, sports psychologists on, uh, on staff. Um, but they largely, I think, now I'm not in that realm, so I don't know for sure. But the feedback I think we've gotten is that they largely focus on just the performance piece. Right. And they're hired by the team, which I do think relates to trust in yeah. terms of trust from the uh, trust and buy-in from the athlete to know that what they're working on or what they say mm-hmm. is going to stay there. That's not always a guarantee, I think. Now, maybe the team would say it is, but yeah. is the athlete well, going to believe that? Right, exactly. And the other thing, too, is that like finding the right fit is really important. And if you're sort of like, this is your option. This is your person. <laughs> this is yeah, your person, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, well, I didn't get, I didn't vibe well with that, that right, person right, at all. Right. And now you're being forced to talk. I think absolutely it speaks to trust because it's like, is this information truly confidential? Right. Because I'm a, you know, especially for pro athletes, I'm a monetary value, you know, yeah. at, at one point to these teams. And then like, you know, it's, am I just a tool being used and sharpened to sort of serve a purpose, but no real interest mm-hmm. in like actually serving what I need. Um, I think it's a big, a big barrier. And, and you I, hear a lot of athletes talk about like, Oh yeah, yes. I, I wouldn't go talk to my sports or like I had a meeting with them. I was like, I never went back and, um, or I never did this or whatever. Yeah. It's sort of like the dismissive. And I think that's part of the, part of the process of why I agree. And ironically, I would guess, now I can't speak for every like sports psychologist, psychologist, mental health professional that's staffed with a professional team. But I would guess if, if they knew that, they would kind of be appalled, uh, not uh, mad at the athlete, but just like would feel hurt that the athlete couldn't trust them because mental health professionals, you know, they really have an ethics behind what they yeah. do. And they, they take an oath in terms of like making sure that they're serving the client and that they maintain confidentiality. It often relates to their license that they hold. So that's really important. I don't think it's it's the mental health professional professionals that have, you know, given the vibe to athletes no. that they're not trustworthy. I think it's actually the past when it comes to the physical doctors on the team. I think especially in like pro sports like the NFL and things like that, there's been tons of NFL athletes um, and probably in other sports too where the team doctor you know, is, is hired by the team and their goal is to really look out for the organization too. And mm-hmm. you can't really have that, but you got to have the person's health be right. the priority. And I think in the past, some players have been burned, uh, you know, getting an opinion from a team doctor and then going to get maybe smart enough to go get a second opinion, realizing like, oh, wow, maybe this doctor didn't have my best interest in yeah. mind because they're paid a ton of money by the team and they have right. a stake in that. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably led to a little bit of the mistrust. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, 
you've seen you've un- unfortunately you've seen examples of it and then that's yeah. where you base your your judgments off of, of previous experiences so yeah, yeah. I definitely agree yeah absolutely so that's something where i hope moving forward um you know athletes more and more kind of get access to you know whether it's a broader team on staff or maybe just people close by that that aren't on staff that they can trust and work with on this kind of thing that know how to blend the 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 mental fitness mental health side with you know with yeah. some of the uh performance mindset stuff yeah one thing i want to add about it is that the reason why it's so important to blend and not just focus on performance is that there'll be a time in every single athlete's life maybe tom brady will figure out how to, a way to do it but that sports comes to an end for them mm-hmm. that they don't that's have. never gonna happen by the way so I, I, it's never gonna happen well it will as long if he comes back <laughs> to the patriots it never will he'll play forever but if he keeps playing with the bucks and he can he can retire um but eventually that goes away yeah that performance piece that if the, and so if you are only supporting an athlete or a person yeah. as an athlete and performance when that goes away what do they have and that's the that's one of the biggest things that I see. And I, I you know, with with the program, it's, I work with a lot of recovering athletes who are going through injury, and the process is almost identical for all of them. They they put they maybe they leaned too heavily on the performance or on their sport, and then they got removed, and their confidence is completely gone because all of their confidence was generated from their performance and their play. And then when they can't do that anymore. What are they? Mm-hmm. And part of the reason, part of the, the, the benefit of, of combining performance with the clinical stuff is that there's a lot of clinical work that can be done where you can generate confidence and cultivate confidence that has nothing to do with you as an athlete. But it's going to help you. But it's going athlete. to yeah, help yeah. you. And yeah. that's why the combination of both of them yeah. is so huge um, and we don't see it anywhere. And that's why we need to be doing more of this work just on a global, I mean, on a global stage of being able to combine both these things. Because in terms of helping people, not just an athlete and mm-hmm. helping people, yeah. this is a more effective way of doing that. Absolutely. Which, which ironically will make them a better athlete. So if they, again, we've talked about this so many times, but the teams actually care about that. Right. And that is their only care. Cause it's like bottom line, business owner, whatever. Yep. Fine. If you only want to care about that, like that still is worth doing on this side to balance these because it will make them a better athlete, make them happier and more functional. Right. The end goal is downside. Right. They're going to be a stronger person and a stronger athlete. So I don't know. I don't see why there would be why you wouldn't do it. I agree. And it's interesting because you you bring up, you've talked a lot about in this episode and in the past about cultivating confidence, about purpose development, about passions, right? Mm -hmm. And I think um, I would guess you do that work with athletes too, where you're not just waiting for them to retire. You're also working on planting those seeds about you know, passions and yeah. purpose development outside of the game yep. uh, and, and cultivating confidence in a non-athletic sense, mm-hmm. because I would guess that I'm, I'm, I'm going to kick it to you, but I would guess that that positions them not only to be a great athlete continuously moving forward, but also to be able to transition and adjust much, much easier to life after the sport. Yeah. I think we've heard enough examples of athletes that had that jarring experience of like when they retired and then like, what do I do? And then they're, they're out pretty outspoken about how they really struggled after mm-hmm. their, after their sport. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you are building them up in other ways than just their sport, they're going to, they're going to be stronger. They're yeah. going to be, they're going to be, they're going to be better for it. They're going to be a better person, a better athlete, but all, all around. And I think that's, again, that's why that, that, that's why this combination of both of them is so important. And if you're able to be passionate in multiple areas, you're, that's, just <laughs> that's just better yeah in my in yeah. my opinion um because like i said with the if the performance goes away you retire or with an injury having other things that might not be able to generate as much passion as like being on 
a beam or being on in a gym mat or being on the rink or a track or wherever might not equal that, but you have to be able to diversify because that is not forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's why, again, that's why we, we, yeah, I do a lot of purpose development in, you know, sort of like for your sport, but also for you as a person, what, what, what drives that, what fuels yeah. you, that type of stuff. And I, I found good success with people being able to sort of like break that athlete. Yeah. Because for a lot of times, a lot of times these athletes had never considered themselves as a person outside of their um, of their role as athlete because that's Mm -hmm. been it's so all encompassing and it requires so much training and focus that it's been their entire lives. Right. Often from like a very young age until the point where you start working with them. Mm -hmm. So I'd imagine like getting into that is really fascinating because it's like the first time they've ever even considered that. It's kind of like a wake up moment. Yeah. And I think particularly with with Simone Biles, too. And I think and. um, Michael Phelps has been pretty outspoken about this too, but especially with Olympic athletes yes, where yeah. they're for most Olympic athletes, their like prime physical state is like 18 to 22 mm-hmm. and then they're like done. Yeah. Right. And, you know, some people are, can, can go a little bit longer, obviously, but that, but then that's like the first quarter of your life. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's like, well, now what do like I do with the next 75? Yet. Right. Yeah, exactly. Your yeah. brain for guys are never brain developed yeah. yet. So, um, that's why, again, I think that that's another, another talking mm-hmm. point for it, but that's why it's so important to be able to do both. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of mental fitness, you know, we're going to get into maybe some of our mental fitness strategies that we personally use. And before we get to that, I think some of the advice I would kind of give to people kind of listening when it comes to how, you know, what does mental fitness mean? How do you cultivate it? I mean, I think it, it is related to self-care. I think mental fitness is kind of a synonym for self-care. Mm-hmm. I think it, it maybe is even a little bit more proactive and a little bit more wide ranging than just the self-care concept. But I think it's very similar and synonymous with that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important when it comes to mental fitness that it's about, first of all, knowing your triggers and risks and planning accordingly, right? So you have to know yourself and know the things that like we used that analogy earlier of kind of like emptying the bucket or filling the bucket. What are the things that are adding things to your life in a good way? Right. And what are the things that aren't? And can you um, can you at least be aware of those things? You might not always be able to get rid of them, mm-hmm. but can you be aware of those things? Because if, if your awareness is high, you can plan accordingly. Yep. You know, for me personally, lack of sleep impacts my mood big time. So I know that that's a big trigger for me. If I'm not sleeping at least eight hours a night or seven and a half to eight and a half. I, my performance slips, my mood gets affected. Like that's something I know I have to keep in a good place because otherwise it's going to leave me in, in a pretty vulnerable position, not within a week, but gradually. If that happens for a while, it's definitely going to have an impact. You also want to know your warning signs. Like what is your check engine light? Um, you know, for, for me, and this is, you know, letting you behind the curtain a little bit uh, for everyone <laughs> listening. But for me, I know that when I start getting headaches pretty periodically, it means I'm pushing myself too too hard mm-hmm. and I need to take take my foot off the gas a little bit and focus on mental fitness a little bit more, self-care, give myself a break, that kind of thing. I know um, my temper. When my temper gets a little bit shorter, especially when I'm watching sports, I've noticed this. <laughs> and I take sports seriously. It's my actually it's my way to tap into my emotion and let it out in a healthy way. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm watching the Eastern Conference Finals and I'm mad at the refs, that's one thing. <laughs> but, you know, the seventh game of the season, if they're playing, you know, you know, the 76ers and Joel Embiid is, you know, flopping around the court and I'm flipping out at my television. Usually that's a sign <laughs> that maybe I have to like look in the mirror and try to focus on my self-care a little bit, my mental fitness. Uh, food is definitely another one. So I'm like kind of an emotional eater. So I know when when I'm really stressed out, if I start like, you know, kind of getting fast food instead of being more intentional, that's mm-hmm. after a couple – if like that happens two days in a row, a light bulb goes off in my head and I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I need to like take a step back. And focus on you know my own mental fitness and doing some things proactively that are going to help me uh, bring me to a better place. So, proactive being proactive when it comes to mental fitness is is hard work, right? It is very it's much 
easier for people to just not think about it and then they have to be reactive when you know the you know what hits the fan mm -hmm. so it is hard work but it's worth it when it comes to mental fitness and things like that you want to watch out for perfectionism because you don't have to be perfect mm -hmm. uh, perfectionism itself can kind of be something that depletes your tank a little bit so you yeah. want to be careful that when you're being proactive you're also being kind to yourself and not expecting to hit every element of mental fitness perfectly yeah because that's not going to help right and um, to, to, to yeah. this day there's still zero examples of perfection anywhere in anything never happened so, in never world. happened yeah. so yeah. just a friendly reminder exactly <laughs> exactly um so in terms of mental fitness strategies we each have 10 you know we're going to go through six through 10 pretty quick and then just maybe focus on our top five a little bit What's your six through ten, John? Uh, my would be sleep, phone, uh, well, removal of phone. Yep, getting yep. rid of it. Yep. Um, sleep for sure. Nutrition's definitely a big one for me. Um, like eating healthy and, and stuff like trying to eat healthy, trying to yeah. Mi minimizing, yeah. um, minimizing sugar especially. That one mm -hmm. definitely affects me. I get migraines, and so that that definitely is a big piece for me. Um, exercise is a big one uh, for me. Um, and then like some family time and pieces like that. Those okay. would be sort of like the the Pretty pretty important ones yep, for me. Absolutely. So my tenth one is meditation. I don't do great with it, but I try to do it mm -hmm. um, yeah, as much as I can. I go in waves. Exercise is obviously really important. Watching sports, like I said, that's actually a great emotional release release for me. And mm -hmm. it's uh you know it's an activity that doesn't require a lot of thought, so I can just kind of relax my mind um, within reason. Depends on the game and how mm -hmm. the refs are doing. Uh, <laughs> social interaction is definitely a big one for me. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not an, an extrovert, but I'm not an introvert either. I'm kind of more of like an ambivert in the middle. So mm -hmm. I need periodic social interaction. And walking my dog is a big one for me too. It didn't quite crack the top five. No offense to my dog. He'd, mm -hmm. he'd be pissed if he heard this. But um, <laughs> walking my dog is definitely important for me. So what is your – let's go um, maybe one at a time for top five. Um, I'd say for, for me, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more up towards like the introverted – or the extroverted side, definitely that's a little bit more bubbly. I get a lot of energy from stuff like that, but I also need like solitude. Like mm -hmm. I, I know that I need that for myself because I can get overstimulated. So solitude is like one of the most important things that's for me. That's a great it's one. Like, I wish I put that on mine. Be just by myself. Yeah. You know, we spend all day, most of our days listening to people, helping people yep. and stuff like that. And if I don't take time to just remove myself from everything mm -hmm. it builds um and then you know it, i get overwhelmed i get anxious i get stressed my heart rate goes out it goes goes crazy mm -hmm. and all that stuff and so I, I try not to do that and i and i even i even have solitude like from my family which is also part of my top five but i need to i need to have that separation yeah, that moments yeah, and yeah. find times it's not i don't take like weekend long trips by myself it's like a, yep. you know like an hour every yep. once in a while but that's definitely one of the ones that's really important for me like that's just solitude yeah that's a great one i wish i'd put that on my on my top 10 because i i do the same thing where it's like you know spending time with family is so important but spending time with yourself is really key and i actually think it's a sign of someone who uh really cares about themselves because i think that you know when people are low in confidence or they're you know prone to anxiety they tend to struggle being alone um you know without the distractions or they don't think that they're good enough and they need someone around them so i think it's a skill to be able to do solitude mm -hmm. so that's a great one um, for me, my fifth one is learning. Uh, it, for me, continuing to learn makes me feel like I always have positive momentum in my life. You know, it, it, it keeps me humble. The more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. <laughs> it's kind of a weird uh, yeah. catch-22 with that. Sure. Um, and it also builds optimism for me. And the more I learn about stuff, the more excited I get about being a human, the more excited I get about living. Mm. It makes me want to get creative. It makes me want to have ideas. 
and you know nine out of every 10 ideas suck and don't end up working out but one ends up being good and i think that keeps me going so learning is a big one for me what's the next one for you yeah my similar my was reading yep. so it was that that, be, that has not been something that's been in my life uh until probably the last five years or so i was not a reader mm-hmm. growing up i hated it um but I had a lot of time. I had a lot of hard time struggling to like focus on it. So that was why I just didn't, didn't do it. Um, but the same, the same reason. I'll read something and I get like psyched up, energized, sort of refocused. It kind of helps me like sort of bring myself down a little bit, but but contribute to you know helping helping people. I think it always kind of helps with that. Um, so reading for me for sure yeah. is, is on that list. Yeah, absolutely. I think my next one is. Uh, talking to myself and to my wife and I, this kind of relates to the to the solitude thing because like I I do watch how I talk to myself and, and I'm intentional about that and so it's not like I'm having this multiple personality conversation in my head but it's mm-hmm. like you have that critic right and I think I try to you know befriend the critic a little bit keep it in a good place <laughs> understand the role it has because it is important it is helpful in a lot of ways but I try to be like my own best coach and be forgiving to myself and I think especially when there's solitude that's what I'm looking for is like, how am I talking to myself? How am I treating myself? And then obviously, you know, having a person, whether it's, you know, a spouse or a best friend or that kind of thing, family member, you know, for me, that's my wife. That's someone I, I confide everything in. And I need that because it, I know not one, it's good to get that stuff out with someone you trust because it's just like, I mean, in a way it's like a therapist, right? It's about mm-hmm. getting it out, hearing yourself talk, releasing that emotion. But for me, I think what makes it important is that I know she's always going to tell me exactly how it is. She doesn't pull punches. And I need, I love that because I, I know that there's no fakeness. There's no worrying about, am I getting the real deal? She's going to tell me exactly what she thinks. <laughs> and she knows me really well. I think that helps me keep myself in check in a lot of good ways. Um, cause it provides a balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what's your next one? Exercise for me. Okay. Um, that's key. Uh, like you'd mentioned with sleep, like if I don't exercise on a consistent basis, I noticed I start to it sort of it impacts everything. My mm-hmm. sleep goes to my sleep goes to shit. I start eating like shit, mm-hmm. more sugar. Um, that I if I don't stay on top of that, I don't do well. It's kind of like my my access back to my old days when I was yep. doing more of that. Mm-hmm. So it, it provides of like just pure joy. Yeah. Like reminds me of the joy that I got from running. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just it's just me knowing that I'm taking care of myself. You know, I think a lot of times when I hear this is a little tangent, but I promise I'll move on quickly. But when I hear people talk about exercise, I think that the main focus is like, well, I want to look good. I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to do this. Totally. I want to work on this. I want to get rid of these love handles. I want to get bigger arms. I want to get bigger legs. And, you know, I, I absolutely fall into that same pattern every once in a while being like, oh man, like I look, catch my glimpse of myself in the mirror and be like, Ooh, got to work on that. And then I have to be like, no, John, you need to work on thinking about it like that yes, yes, and taking yeah. that next step of like, I train to feel good. Yep. I don't train to look good. And I really, really try to focus on that. <laughs> Some days are better than others. Um, but I, that's, that, that's why exercise is not only just it's good for myself, but it's a really good mental training exercise for me because the way that I look is was and continues to sort of be a lingering insecurity. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, really good technique yeah. and strategy for me to keep that in check and really stay focused on why like the, the true importance mm-hmm. of exercising. So that's that's a big one for me. That's amazing because to me that touches on uh, a key component that we, we work on with clients a lot and I think is really helpful for people listening is that 
your brain is going to have some neurons firing that cause it to think some things without your control. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to listen to it. And right. I think if you know yourself well enough, you know what's healthy, you'll catch that because that's an example. It's like your brain's going to fire off like, oh, I want to look better or that's not good enough or I need mm -hmm. a six pack or that kind of thing. Yep. And you can't, you, the goal is not to turn that off. Like that's going to happen no matter what you do. Again, yep. perfectionism is not possible. So your right. brain's going to have some thoughts that are not helpful. Yep. It's when that happens, if you know yourself and you can catch it, use that as fuel, shift it in the right direction that's healthy for you, and then you can kind of acclimate. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, my third one is purpose in life. I think, you know, tying into something, tying into much larger that's goals that have nothing to do with me in terms of what we want to do, at, you know, from a business perspective and help the most people possible, like that keeps me going. That's like fuel for me because it has nothing to do with me. It's about trying to help a lot of people and, and achieve something that's meaningful um, yeah. beyond ourselves. And I think that's something that, continuously keeps me motivated and helps me kind of stave off burnout and stuff because I, I love what we do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really good one. What's your second one? Um, journaling and breath training kind of in conjunction. Okay. Those are sort of the, the two that I really, um, I really prioritize. And I know that I have to be very, very diligent about doing it because it's one of those ones that like, I have a hard time with being like, oh, I don't have time for that. Or, like, oh, I got to do this. I got to mm -hmm. do that. And I'll, 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 those are the, usually the first two to go when I start getting really busy, which is why they're the first two that I need to spend the most time thinking about because those are like the, the gateway to I'm becoming yeah. overwhelmed and, yeah. getting, and having too much go, go, go mm -hmm. time if those two start to not become a part of my everyday practice. So those are kind of like my like immediate red flags. Those are like the two that yeah. I, I see uh, that are like really important because they're really informative to me of like you're the scales are tipping too much into the overwhelmed state if you're not able to like wake up even 10 breaths and journal yep. down here's what i want to get done today here's what i've already done today here's why i love myself mm -hmm. and boom if i don't do that practice and i'm already waking up in an anxious state and like go 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 i know that that's a problem yeah. so those those are and those two happen in conjunction with one another but those, that's one of the my my most important ones okay yeah that's a great one my second one second to last one is uh or number two, right? About to get to number one, which is my top one. But my second one is sleep hygiene. Like I said earlier, that that's to me. To me, it's non-negotiable. It has to be a pri mm -hmm. the priority in my life on a consistent basis. I think that started with having the opposite in architecture school. When I was architecture <laughs> school, was like med school. It's like they just pump you full of this like false BS where they basically, if you're not sleeping, if you're sleeping, you're not trying, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's it's such crap. But like that's that's what they they do to try to motivate you. And I bought into it because I was young and stupid. Uh, and it led to a lot of all-nighters, and um, the effect of that is is something that probably took years off the end of my life, if I'm being honest. I mean, it really had a, a negative impact on my mental health, my well-being, and yet it also kind of helped me recognize, like, post-architecture school, that's not how I wanted to do it. You know, I had to switch up my approach. So sleep hygiene, focusing on at least eight, eight hours a night is really key for me. What's your final one, top one? My family. Yeah. I, I, I really do. I mean, maybe it sounds corny and cheesy, but it really is where I get the most joy um and it is the spending time with them puts everything mm -hmm. into perspective for me um even on the hard days when my daughter's not listening uh or your son or throws a car at your head or a son throws yeah. a car at my head he's <laughs> yeah he just wants to be a wrestler right now uh so you know even on those times where i'm like losing my mind or it's three in the morning and my son won't go back to bed yeah. or like even in those moments like that you know that are that are certainly hard those that's why that's you know that's that's why I do it. I, I do it for my family. I do it for, um, you know, that, that that's part of the purpose yeah, of why yeah. I'm doing all this different stuff. And they really kind of help keep me grounded. And my spouse, particularly, yeah. uh, kind of same as tree will like call it as it is. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, yeah. 
you're being this is this is ridiculous or slow down or yeah, all yeah. this different stuff and so it's the most important and um if i notice like um the time's not you know i think there's there's different times where i'll spend more time with family more time with business finding the balance ongoing process for mm-hmm. sure um but that having that stability and that peace in there is that work to put into having that is the the best thing yeah, for me absolutely that's a great one my my number one is is travel, and I think it it kind of is synonymous with family because it's travel with my wife. Because I can't w- when we go places, you know, one it's it's a, a way that her and I connect that we, you know it's hard to do when we have our everyday work life around here because there there is no stress, there's no distraction, there's just just us being present with each other and experiencing something together and seeing new places is really cool. And for me, it's also a key thing for for mental fitness because it. It keeps me grounded and it divides up the stress. I think that's where 2020 was really hard for me because we couldn't we couldn't travel and yeah. we're used to going abroad. We're used to going different places. Like once every three months, we go for like five to seven days somewhere, and we find out little ways in between to visit family and stuff. But we travel somewhere on a plane, we disconnect, and for me, that's a huge reset. Like mm-hmm. I am always able to get a bird's eye view perspective. We talk a lot about stepping back from the painting. Travel helps me do that. Every yeah. three months, I, I I leave. We go on a on a vacation somewhere. We explore things. I step back and I have much more clear perspective about where I'm at with my mental health and my mental fitness, what I need to change. Uh, so on a personal level, I get that that perspective. And then on a business level, I get it too. I start to see things from a much more uh, bird's eye view and I can make sense of stuff that when you're so close to the day to day, it's hard to kind of make sense. Right. Things blur together and you just lose things sometimes. Yep. So I'm looking forward to that. We got a trip planned in, in a couple months and uh, it's, it's been over a year. So I'm like itching for that. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's my number one is travel. So that is it for the, uh, for the mental Simone Biles mental fitness episode. Um, just one reminder to, to listeners, you know, if you can su- subscribe on YouTube to our channel, you can search on YouTube, the Grim Drive podcast. We are stuck on 78, Johnny. And I'm pretty sure we only got from 76 to 78 because of Dimitri over here. <laughs> so, uh, we appreciate that. Um, him taking pity on us. If we can get to 100, we can get our own custom URL, which would be great. I also want to, uh, encourage people to listen to this new podcast that's out. It's called We're All a Little Crazy. Yeah. It's a podcast um, by Theo Fleury, who's a former hockey player, Darren Ravel, and Eric Cusson, uh, who started the Same Here a yeah. Global Mental Health Movement, um, which, you know, we've talked to him, uh, and, he, you know, the mission that they're doing at Same Here is really, really cool and really important. But we encourage everyone to check out um, Same Here, hashtag Same Here, check out We're All a Little Crazy podcast. They're going to get into some really cool uh, mental health topics um, that I think people would find interesting. As always, you know, a reminder that all the helpful information and links we've described can be accessed in the show notes and on our website at GrimDrive.com. Thanks for listening to this GrimDrive podcast uh, discussion on Simone Biles and mental fitness. We'll be back next week to talk about Shanika Holdsclaw and adjustment. Thanks, everyone.